Microphone checker. Oh, yeah. Welcome back to another episode of the Premium P Show. Shouts to everybody who checked out last week's episode with that boy from New York City, the one and only Aton Sugarman. Okay? Super restaurateur. Super connected fella. A good fella. Okay? Co-founder of Southern uh, Barbecue. Southern Hospitality Barbecue, is it, Benson? Southern Hospitality Barbecue, Made in New York Pizza, Hunting Fish Club. Uh, now he's uh, he acquired the White Horse Tavern. Let me tell you something, Internets. If you ever, if you're not from New York City, put these restaurants, put this bar, put that pizza spot on your to-do list when you come to New York City. Stop coming here and going to the 99 cents pizza uh, places and talking about the pizza ain't good. Well, who the fuck took you? Ain't nobody that you know a, 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 a local. Ain't no local took you. Internets. Let me tell you something. Check that episode out. Dig into the catalog. Listen, I know some people may like this episode, so some people may not like this. Listen, okay? You get in where you fit in, okay? Premium P Show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever it is. But I want you to do me a favor, and you know when I say this. At Premium P, at Premium P Show. Open up your Twitter app or open up your Instagram app and check the fuck in. Let me know where you're listening from. Let me know what episodes you're listening to. And more importantly, even, you know what? I'll even take some suggestions. Is there certain people you want to hear on the ep- uh, on a Premium Pete Show episode? Let me know, okay? Let me know, Internets. Blessings to you. It's a hot summer. Uh, keeping busy. Looking forward to, uh, uh, wait, wait. Oh, actually, I'll be, I'll be in uh, ComplexCon, Chicago, Internets. I'll be at ComplexCon Chicago. Come check me. If you see me in the building, say what up. Come give me a pound. Come give me a dap. Come give me a hug. Uh, just don't tell me that the deep dish pizza is that good because I'm not fucking with it. But you might catch me at Portillo's. You might catch me out there, okay? You might. Internets, I'm very excited to announce this week's episode. Before I get to it, I just want to tell you one thing, okay? Head on over to our YouTube Subscribe, rate, tell a friend. We got a bunch of videos that are cracking on there. Fuck with the YouTube. And then I always tell you, subscribe on iTunes. Rate it five stars. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Okay? You know, let people know about the Premium Pete Show. You've you've heard everyone from entrepreneurs to restaurateurs to producers to artists to designers to porn stars to athletes. I mean, what the fuck? I mean, listen. That's what I want to do, and that's what you're going to hear. You're going to hear diversification, okay? So pick an episode, dig through the catalog, and enjoy it. This week's episode, shouts to my brother Mike Lapalooza, okay, is a very rare one with a legendary graffiti artist, designer, uh, uh, so much more, entrepreneur, stash, okay? He doesn't fucking go on podcasts. He doesn't talk. He doesn't really talk a lot. And he's had a storied career, an amazing journey, He's collaborated with Nike and Reebok. He's traveled the world graffiti and baby collaborate. I mean, listen, it's it's endless of things he has done. He's been around a long time, longevity. Uh, I got a lot of respect for him. It, 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 I just love episodes where you don't really hear from the person a lot. It's very rare that you hear Stash on the podcast. Internet, stay in tune and learn. If you don't know, learn about the legendary Stash. I don't got to say any more. Internet's. I present to you this week's episode of the Premium Pete Show with the one and only Stash. Let's get to it. Cheers.
Yo, what's up, y'all? This is Fat Man Scoop, the undisputed voice of the club, the two-time Grammy Award winner. Let me make this official for you. Fat Man Scoop, Cork McClan, Internets. It's time to go with my dude, Premium Pete. Let's get focused. Let's go. Internets, let's turn up. One time, Premium Pete. Come on, everybody get set. Let's go. It's the next episode. It's the Premium Pete Show. News, interviews, all of the info. Listen up. It's the Premium Pete Show. If you want the scoop in the low, down low, listen to the show plus milk said so fuck what you heard better act like you know it's the premium pete show internets welcome back to another episode of the premium pete show sitting down here with a very very good fellow okay first of all let's give a shout out to mike wapalooza mad okay. shout out to mike uh he's a the man best new, news came new, through from mike today yep yep so blessings to him he's gonna his, be a dad at 62 years old his crew you know uh well actually yeah, not 40 yeah, 40, pops 40. He's an older dad. He's an older dad. But shouts to Mike. Listen, he's a, a big, uh, besides a friend, big podcast head. And he got on a, a stash and was like, yo, you got to get on this fucking show. And Stash doesn't do podcasts. I don't even know what a podcast he, what is. The, he doesn't even know what the fuck he's doing here. But he knows. What is this? <laughs> is it on? Is this thing working? <laughs> but listen, internets, <laughs> uh, uh, we, could, we could call you a lot of things. I mean, I'm sure you don't like to hear these things. But, you know, uh, people Just will say. Just call me for dinner. That's all. Well, I'm yeah, saying. don't call you late for dinner. Yeah. Artist, designer, graffiti artist. For a while, you had New York City graffiti artist. I really think you're worldwide. Yeah, I mean, a lot of those. Labels come from other people's perception of us, right? Other people looking in. I would humbly just say, hey, I'm a designer, graffiti artist, origin from Brooklyn, New York. Everybody, Everything else sort of came with interpretation or, hey, the lead-in to the conversation. I don't have any real say on that. You know, I remember hearing one time you saying that you didn't like being called a legend. I It's, it's, it's humbling, but it's also weird because to me, legends were always growing up like somebody who passed had legendary status and I'm just trying like everybody else to do what I do. I'm, I'm glad that I'm heard, but I'm, I'm, I'm still out here participating. You know? So you, it's a, it's a weird title because there's a lot of then in that case is everybody to me is a legend. Sure. There's a lot of legends, but, but, but it's not necessarily all the time. True. I'll explain to you why, because you have been around a long time, right? In your space, right? You, you're, you're considered a legend. Right, and it's not something I'm I'm saying. Think about the longevity. It's not something you tried out for three years and you fucking got done. You know, one and gone. How long has it been that you've been not only, not only writing graffiti, but collaborating, traveling the world, doing what you do for a living, doing what you love for a living? Let's be honest. I mean, is there anything else that you wanted to fucking do? Not really. No. Even today, I don't want to do this. I want to go to my studio. But I'm, <laughs> but I'm here with you, Pete and Mike, because you know. <laughs> I'd ra- I, you know, honestly, it's the oddest thing because when you do talk, and thank you for that yeah, no really doubt. nice sentiment, but as a graffiti artist, we didn't want to be seen outside of the work that was seen. We sure. as individuals weren't about that. And once it commodified, it was like, oh shit, you like that? I did that. Heads are running to the front of the line. I'm still a bit like, yeah, I don't know. I don't really blog a lot. I don't really, sh- you know... F- by my doing, show everything I work on, you know? I don't have that mechanism in me. I, I appreciate what people do, and I, I get the modern age. I'm just like a dinosaur with it. I'm just sort of like, I'd rather be doing the work than telling you sure. about the work. I'm, you know, it's easier for me. Sure. So for so, people, yeah, for people listening who may not know who Stash is, so what we're going to do here is... What? People who listen who do know you, we're going we're gonna to make them learn a little bit more. Okay. People who don't know you at all... Should hang up and leave now. Well, no, no, no. 
Hang on tight. You're going to learn a little bit about this guy. Let's take him all the way back. So you grew up, wait, you grew up in Long Island, right? Well, I was born in Long Island, but I grew up in New York City. Okay. And so, you know, the period of time that we would consider our growth, our growing, our kind of getting our voice. Sure. Downtown Manhattan. Okay. I lived on the, you know, West Village. Now, for people uh, who may not know, like, take us through, like, that time. Like, what it was like. Late 70s, early 80s, you know, getting to ride the train for the first time myself to school, noticing graffiti for the first time and sort of identifying with it. Like, oh, shit, that name was written in blue yesterday above the map. Today it's written in a different co- – you know, I started to identify and sort of – make out like what was going on and the outsides of the trains the murals were just too much to even understand and just that period of time in new york with the advertising times square was the most incredible place you could go we had a billboard in times square when i was growing up that blew fucking smoke rings a winston billboard right that cigarettes was to me, the winston cigarette. yeah that was to me the highlight and i i know a lot of my influence is all is like visual, right? My little tag is visual maintenance. My whole, my whole thing is like I'm I'm way more visually inclined than articulate. I can always pictures more than words. Different things that sort of help me through you know the day. Advertising was such a mad impact on me because they used to paint them. Mm. All the billboards were hand painted. Thank God for Colossal Media today. They're still crushing it. They carry the torch. But back then, I would just stop and perch up under a dude painting a huge car or a billboard just amazed. And here I am trying to paint trains, but then here they are doing the side of a building 50 times bigger on a scaffold. Now you you got me. You got me. You got me really hard on that one. But when you were young, were you just like somebody wanted to write graffiti or you were, were really somebody who you were artists? Like, did you Were you good at, were you nice at, 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 at drawing when you were young? No, I wasn't. And I'm still not necessarily a still life painter or an artist in that way. My my tool set, my skill came from my interest in graffiti. I grew up, I had a, my father, photographer, the only real art around me, a lot of photography, but divorced. Parents divorced. At a Knew young about age? Him young when age? I was two. Fuck. Dude, total dickbag to this day, but super talented, super crazed, but with that comes super crazed, right? So... Just knowing his history and his work, always admiring it, looking at like, oh shit, photography's kind of dope. I carried a camera my whole life, have one here with me today. Just what I do, but it's sort of, it's a visual thing for me. It's taking snapshots of things. Like something could be rusted in a certain way and the texture of it and the color, I'm like, all right, I need that. That's going to come back later for me. doesn't matter what it is. I'm not like panorama dude. I don't just do landscape. I, I use my camera for like daily documentation, which comes back in my graphic work, could come back in my paintings, you know? So I wasn't always artistically inclined, you know, at that time when sure. I started writing graffiti, it was really the graffiti movement and the camaraderie that followed it. The homies, the, the friends that I've made for life through that movement. It's sort of like I gave up the football and the baseball mitt for spray cans. Mm. And with that came a, you know, like Fight Club, first rule. You don't talk about it. And that, to me, was the dopest shit. It's sort of what you up to. Oh, Martha. I'm good. I'm chilling. Yeah, whatever. It's all good. I didn't need to be out there doing it. And that that's kind of why I'm not a big blogger, I think. I, it's been ingrained in me to do first. Don't worry about blabbing off on it or talking about it. Just get the work done. You know, most committed wins, right? So it's sort of like I appreciate the modern day and the people that can balance that. I don't have that ability. I need to just do the work. Did 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 pops uh, hang out with you, or after two he just just bounced? No, no, like maybe you know there was a few visits that I remember as a young boy. 
but no, complete. I mean, that's a crazy story because I, he came in and out of my life at different points and phenomenal photographer. I mean, the dude was like, check this out. The marketing director of Marshall amplifiers in the seventies, late sixties, mm. seventies. So besides being a Pratt graduate under like Milton Glaser, name dropping, like sure, super sure. severe artists, graphic artists, Milton Glaser, for those who don't know, I love New York icon besides a million other amazing things. My father was part of a, an incredible period of time that came out of Pratt and great photographer worked at Marshall has, I mean, I have photos that he's given me over the years at Jimi Hendrix band of gypsies, never seen, never published in the dressing room because he had access as the Marshall amplifier guy, Led Zeppelin. He designed a, a speaker cabinet for Led Zeppelin that was used in the garden, you know? Classic. Like the photos I have are outstanding and amazing. Jerry Garcia, without his glasses on. Rick Griffin, my favorite artist, that probably the reason I do graffiti the way I do is because of this artist, Rick Griffin, that was associated with the dead and surf and the whole West Coast culture, really changed my view on it. But my dad, he's like an apple tree. He can grow the apples, but he don't know how to make the sauce. He don't know how to make juice. And so he really just is sitting with a bunch of shit rotting around him that is so amazing. And to this day, if you're listening, motherfucker, you're like, we hadn't spoken for years. And I reached out to him and I said, listen, let me do something with the negatives. Let me, you could feed, I have a brother, he's got kids. My, my sure. father had never met my children until they were like two and like seven. That's how infrequent, and he hasn't seen them since. That's how odd it is in my life. But the dude is sitting on a mountain of gold and has no idea on what to do or how to and it's just gonna f f f be part of our history you know i talk a, a lot about parenting you know because i've been there i've been divorced and you know you've been divorced i have older kid younger kid you know you have kids as well like you know a lot of people don't admit this unless they are asked this or talk about it but not having pops there did that shit bother you like growing up like of course it did i mean how can you say it didn't you know like the the lack of stability on Father's Day, I call my mother, right? Because she was the strongest, most amazing woman to this day. I'm surprised that we didn't kill her, my brother and I. The shit we did, as you did, as we all did, yeah. as youths trying to figure out our voice, figure out who we are, you're bugging. The shit we did. I mean, Mom, I love you to death. And I'm sure <laughs> when I say to death, because I'll be the death of you. You know, it's amazing that at 51, yes, I'm 51, and I'm still a mama's boy. Fuck that. That woman was strong enough to make me who I am. And I did something right, so, yeah, you know? That's special. But I, I definitely missed out, you know? Like, all my friends that we, we rolled with where moms was doing moms things and dad was doing dad's shit, and all the TV at the time was all about that, like, nucleus and the white picket fence. Like, wait, what? Maybe that's why I rebelled. Maybe that's why I got into graffiti or just went a little introverted and just did my own thing, and I don't know. You know, it's funny. The reason why I actually, it's funny how you mentioned that because... Because of not having a father that they could say, ah, he got into trouble, he started writing graffiti. But meanwhile, like, you, you I mean, who, who would have known at that time? But, I mean, you, you made a legendary career out of it, right? You, you made money out of it. You traveled the fucking world out of it. Yeah. When did moms, because obviously Pops really wasn't in the picture, but when did your family, like, you know, I'm jumping a little now, but when did your family, like, really, like, what project did you do that, like, oh, shit, like, He's not just getting in trouble from the Vandal Squad for fucking writing graffiti. Like, he's really, like, getting checks from, you know what I mean? Like, was it a certain I collaboration? I mean, for my mom, it was just seeing me happy and, and finding myself. So it wasn't about any accomplishment other than, like, I painted my first canvas, Mom. Check this out. 
oh my God, you're really, you're taking it. You're taking on something. You know what I mean? Just sure. as we are as parents, they, you love when they find something. My son found skateboarding, right? I'm like over the moon with it. And every day I'm like, what do you got? Tell me, to, you know, show me. So I think for my mom, it was really like, all right, he's sticking with it. It's not, it matured from, okay, it's a little harsh. He's out in the world in the subway system. He's doing a lot of crazy shit that she can't really get down with and doesn't know enough about, but she knew enough because moms, they fucking know everything. And I think it was really that I got into like an art show and I, I showed a painting in a gallery. It was a group show. It was the early 80s, but nevertheless, oh my God, my son's in an art show. You know, really, it really gave confidence to her that I was committed, not should be committed, but committed to something really... 360, you know, I was really in for it. That art show you were at, wasn't supposedly uh, Basquiat, uh, is that the one that uh, Keith Haron? I mean, props to Patty Astor. Patty Astor and Bill Stelling, the founders of the Fun Gallery, a gallery in the early 80s in the, the, the East Village that premiered a lot of artists that we know today. They were right on the cusp of the East Village scene and bringing everything to life, and they they really incorporated the community and i was going from the layup to go see shows at the fun gallery showing up with like paint my backpack shit all over me still like hey what up did i miss it you know i just did a couple throw-ups on the way you know i was still like (laughs) i was like that young sort of like i was like spider right like go make me a drink motherfucker (laughs) i would have made you a drink but i would have put my name on your glass so you remember who the fuck i was i was that guy and so that's how lenny and i became friends futura because he was always like damn dude you, you still hitting it? I was like, what? Stop. Come on. Like, we, he really appreciated my whole, like... No, Dedication I'm, to it? Yeah, like, hard. I'm, I'm, I'm in it. So, to answer your question, yeah, it was a gallery show. They used to do a, um, a Christmas show every year at the Fun Gallery, and a lot of people were in the show. I mean, yes, the highlight reel starts with those names you aforementioned, but there was so much talent in that show that, to this day, you'd be like, oh, they were in that show? They were in... The, it, was, it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. And that... That was what I think my mom really was most proud of. Like, oh, wow. It's, it's no longer like, hey, what's your son up to? Well, he's... It's like now she can sort of vocalize a bit more. And, you know, so later when I started monetizing it, of course, she was one level more relieved on some, oh, okay. You what know, did mom do? Management consulting. Um, God, if, I don't even... I always ask her, what? what, what? I, I don't know. She, she was in she was in uh, private sanitation. Yeah, and she was uh, a union uh, delegate. She was a union delegate over there <laughs> and, and such. But no, she was. I mean, she still is. She still works. She's mid seventies. She works harder than all of us do. God bless her. God bless her. Man. Did I'm you shocked. ever do something for her that uh, you were real proud of? Like meaning, like you know, throughout the years. Oh yeah, there was one art show we did in '97. I curated the show in London. Futura, Lee, and myself. It was called Contents Under Pressure. Had some good friends in London help me on the London side. We got Levi's at the time to oh. be part of it. And it was in a spot called Tram Shed, which is now some big restaurant with a Damien Hurst piece in it. But the space itself, we took it over in the early 90s, and I knew it was going to be a big show. And I flew my mother and her partner over to London, put them up for the few days. And, you know, that was like a big proud moment for me to not only be able to, like, have something to invite my mother sure, to sure. that was so valid, but like, I got you. I bought you two tickets. You know, I made sure she had like, hey, this week, can you, what do you mean? Can I just answer a question? Can you be available to whatever? And like, and then when I hit her with two plane tickets to London, she almost, 
She almost had a heart attack. You grew up, uh, you know, born in Long Island, but grew up in Brooklyn. No, I grew up in downtown Manhattan. Okay, downtown Manhattan. Then West Village, Brooklyn, right? Brooklyn was when I had kids. You know, you wanted the Brooklyn. Okay, okay, you want to okay. jump? We're going to okay, jump okay, a little okay. bit. I opened up Recon in '97. I mean, you can't okay. just you can't just walk over. But there. I lived I lived on that block for many years. When my lease was up on my apartment, the fucking landlord, and if he's listening, he can fuck him too. Hope a sinkhole opens up in front of his apartment today, and he falls <laughs> in it. Motherfucker doubled my rent and said, "Well, we have all this retail on the block now." I was the retail guy on the block, so I proceeded to explain to him, "Well, that's my store, and I really." You know, it took everything I had to make it work and, you know, whatever. He's like, so you should be able to afford it. So I moved to Brooklyn. I was like, you know what the fuck? And is that, was that when Nort, Nort Recon... Uh, That's when I moved to Lafayette Street. I was still yes. on Eldridge at the time. And I was living on Eldridge. And the landlord basically tried to double up on us and use me as the reason why. And when I told him, as I just said, I was like, well, you know what? This ain't working. So I just jumped ship. That was, but for people listening who may not know, the, you own that store with you and no, with me. It's it. Okay, why? Why sometimes some people think uh, Futura owned that with you? You know, here's a mythbuster. Okay, Lenny and I are very good friends. The legend. He's an easy. Okay, uh, Futura. Yeah. Let's go by Futura for yeah. those who don't know. And you know, it's really hard to be in somebody's shadow, right? So if you imagine Batman and Robin, as you know them as a, sure. a team, Batman gets the props. Robin could save the day. They could put a little Robin light up in the air, and they'd be like, hey, is that that Batman light? You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. Like, being in the shadows can be very hard. And no matter what I did, how hard I did it, if they gave Lenny credit, you know, at the end of the day, I was like, it's okay. I don't care. Because I got done what I needed to get done. And my point was getting it done, not taking credit, and not going out in the world trying to correct everybody's wrong, or, hey, they think Lenny, or pardon me, Futura. It's okay. It's okay. It didn't bother me then. It doesn't bother me now. But it was me, because at the end of the day, when the you sign that dotted line, when shit goes haywire, where are they then? That's how you know who owns the company, who pays the bills, who's who's on the line for it when when the shit implodes or something. So, MythBuster Lenny contributed a lot visually. Was my best friend and partner in crime in the sense of we just shared a studio and he did what he did, I did what I did. But he tend to get a little bit of credit for what I did just because of the audience not knowing the circumstance. Sure. You know, it's just how it is. Recon, uh, legendary New York City spot, man. I mean, a lot of people still to this day I hear talk about why, you know, that, that you know, when it closed down, uh, you know, it, it was a sad day. You know, what What yeah. exactly? I remember hearing so many things. I don't know. So I'm sure. just, but I remember hearing like the Nike uh, contracts were up or I don't know. I remember. I've never had a Nike contract. What does that mean? I, it's like when people say that, if you can just, I don't mean to answer questions no, no, no. question and be a dick because yeah. I know it's kind of rude, but what does that mean? Because as a retailer, you have a, an account. They make you, them they make them sign contracts? Yeah. yeah. We didn't, back, back when I had my store. And here's what's crazy. When I first opened my store, I had a tiny little store with not a vision. You sign a line of credit for 20 G's. Yeah, whatever, I got that. It's not, even though you didn't, <laughs> even though you didn't have that. Sure. Back then, 20 was like 150. You know, it was like some, whoa. All right, we can do this. Look, I'm getting the fucking goosebumps thinking about it. But then you grow your business, and they give you more credit and more credit and more credit. And then you don't realize, like, wait, I'm still on the hook for all that shit? So your 20 G is now up to 300, 500, because that's how they pump you product. You know what I mean? It, it turned a little bit fucking haywire. So, no, the reason my store closed had nothing to do with the brand itself. We had a leak above our store on Lafayette Street. The corner. Yeah, the corner During store. the winter, yeah. where the woman above us went away for the winter and didn't put her heater on, and the pipes froze, 
her apartment got almost destroyed from what the landlord told us. And the amount of water damage that came through two floors of our store. We had a, a, a basement level, which was all product, you know, stock. And the, the store itself was on the first floor. You couldn't imagine the amount of damaged goods we got. And our insurance was dick. Every, we got screwed every which way you could get screwed, where it was like 120 grand worth of product damage. We'll give you eight grand. Well, what are you talking about? Well, you could wash the hoodies. We're like, no, you can't. You know, we're debating with these insurance appraisers and all these people of like, that doesn't work like that. You can't, you know what I mean? You can't sell somebody a used garment. You know what I mean? Just because the top five are wet, the bottom five stunk and were moldy too, we couldn't use, you know, it's all, it's all, it's like produce. You know, once it goes brown, sure, you can't do anything sure. with it. And so that really, that, that was the, the final straw. But if you remember the period of time in 08, I think it was around 08, I don't know if it was recession, if the disposable income crew was disposed of, but right at the end of the life of our store, because the leak really pushed us over, but it was also the industry at the time. There were too many stores saturating Mm -hmm. our area. When we got our account, they were like, you can't be close to anybody. Well, that changed after I got my store because people were popping up left, right, and center around us. I know that had an effect on our business, but the same client that would come in arrogant in his Mercedes and park in the bus stop, double park, and buy four pairs of the same shoe without looking at them was now taking the subway to our store, standing there like, ah, for 20 minutes over one pair of shoes. <laughs> like, I watched the change in our society or just our market or whatever it was, and it became a lot harder, and people that had it like that didn't have it like that. The interest was still there. They were still showing up like, yo, what's the new tier zero? What's going on? But they didn't have the means. So it wasn't just the store and the, it was the time, right? But also Nike sort of oversaturated and I'm not blaming the brand, but like a little bit of what happened to the smaller retailers was like, they were dropping shoes ridiculously. Like you got to take these Air Force One packs with like, Rashid, Rashad, I mean, yeah, yeah, printed the, on the side of it, yeah, and Kobe yeah. with his face. Shit that you were like, for real, for real? Like, come on, let's that, let's talk yeah. about this. Nobody's going to want this. That year they dropped about 300 uh, Air Force. I remember. It was, it was really insane, but you know what? My inexperience as a retailer cost me. And I'm going to just put it out there, and Nike, if you're listening, hey, man, I'll take this one on the chin, but you guys need to own up for your end of it, too, because they had my windows and my fucking main showcases every other week, and I got no, not one marketing dollar, okay? If I understood how retail, because I'm a graffiti artist that decided to open up a store to sell my T-shirts. Then I had an opportunity. I knew a homie that knew a homie I'd get sneakers. Let's do that. You know, I didn't, it wasn't, I don't come from a retail background. I'm sure. not a Wharton business student. I'm not, I'm so far from all of that, right? Look at me, you'll know, right? It's okay. But I managed to get myself in a position. And it wasn't until, in hindsight, from other friends that were retailers and other friends that when I went to for help, I never asked anybody for help. I just dealt with it because, like I said earlier, this is what we did. We, we just sort of quietly do our shit. They were like, you didn't get money from Nike? You didn't get, you know, they took over your store? I said, no. No, I didn't. And I learned later that if I had that same opportunity that they gave a lot of the other retailers, I'd probably still be in business. Well, you know, when it closed down, like it's I said, recon is, uh, you know, I like the way you broke that down. And it's crazy the way you explained uh, uh, where we were going in the world. You know, yeah. and I, didn't, I, I, didn't, I understand totally what you're saying. I, I never thought of it like that. You know, but why didn't you ever think about opening? Were you just 
done with it or you know I wasn't done with it, but you know, I realized that like this, right? If I was a restaurant tour, if I own a restaurant, right? And you know you got eight hundred tables in your restaurant, you probably gotta wash all your linens, right? And you probably do enough business with your linens, you might think about opening up a laundromat because your linen bill. But then you're not a restaurant guy. You're a linen guy, right? I sort of went out of my lane, and I learned the hard way. And I did it for many years, and I, I might have had some success in the progress of it. But, like, I'm an artist. I need to be an artist. Doing that, I should have brought in other people that had management skill sure, and, sure. and other people. But I brought in the homie squad and sure. paid for that, too. Hand in the cookie jar. Motherfuckers ordering shoes for their friends. Like, not a pair, but, like, yo, I got you. I'll order you 12 pay. You're like, shit you find out after, right? Which hey, listen. Is, they said, ha, 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 now. But back then it was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, wow, like the balls on these these people. I was really, really shocked that like, man, I went out on such a limb as we've done for all of our friends. And sure. we try and keep the community, but sometimes it doesn't work. Sure. And I learned in retrospect that that did not work. But yeah. I take it. I'm, I'm a man. I take the good. I want credit when it goes good and when it goes bad. If I'm attached to it, I'm not afraid for the bad credit. I'll work to correct things. I think we always have a, there's always recourse to make things right. Okay. I take the credit. Sure. I have a lot of little mosquito bites as to why it went the way it did, but I'll scratch that itch. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now for, for people who uh, are learning the, the journey of the one and only stash, Recon is, is is that was like your T-shirt brand, right? Like your mm -hmm. brand, and, right? No, no, I had a I had a T-shirt brand called Subwear. Okay, Let's but you sold back. Recon. Let's yeah. go back. Let's go back. I I had an idea to make T-shirts, and it was Futura. Yeah, myself and a guy named Gerb, who was Gerb. How do we say Gerb? Gerb was like a Lower East Side kind of DJ, empresario. He used to do like clubs and sure. parties and bring people together. You know, he had, a, he had a lot of different hustles back then before the word hustle, right? But he was, he was an old friend of Futura's and The Clash. Lenny went on tour with The Clash. And I, in my early days, was a road manager for a good friend of mine, Sam Sever. Mm. Fat shout to Sam, who was a guy that you should probably bring in here and have a talk with. He'll blow this place off its fucking Big winter. Sammy, where the Sam, fuck you at? Sam, come out. Sam Sever is no joke. Produced third base, sure. tracks with Run DMC. I mean, the guy gets no credit, but he's done everything. Long story short, I forgot what the fuck I'm talking about. Uh, um, recon. Yeah, so. Gerber. <laughs> How, bring it way back. Yeah, no, so so Gerb, Futura, and I meet. I knew Lenny. Lenny and I were already playing nice with each other. I'd done some paintings with him. We'd done a bunch of stuff together. I'm on tour with Sam Sever. That's how I brought Sam into this, and that's where I got all confused, but... Sam asked me to road manage his band at the time. It was called Downtown Science. And they were opening up for Big Audio Dynamite. Big Audio Dynamite is Mick Jones, formerly of The Clash. So I was like, yeah, whatever, cool, Sam, whatever. Is this a job for me? I was like, great, let's, let's go across the country, whatever. On one of the tours, there, Futura, Gerb, and I found each other in Connecticut, all bugging out, like, yo, when we get home, let's, let's meet up. Gerb had a studio. Not a painting studio, but a, a studio with a computer in it, right? A 486 PC, a fucking Amiga Commodore. Shit, back then you never even heard about. Sure. Me and Lenny were like really interested. Future. We were like, yeah, let's let's after the tour when I get home, let's go hang out with Gerb, see what's up. And we all just started building on ideas like what we could do. And Gerb, smart guy, you know, even enough to just bring us all together to think about what what we could do. At the same time, at that era, Futura and I had some art shows in Europe going off at the time. And right before we left, Lenny Futura said to me, hey, why don't you 
take the Krylon. I had handmade from a, I'm going all over because the story is kind of crazy. I apologize to everybody, but even taking a step further back, early on in my in my kit, I handmade T-shirts. I went to Pearl Paint, rest in peace, another Cla- New York legendary. landmark. Um, I went and bought silkscreen kits, and I made T-shirts of all the shit that we want that nobody makes. Krylon is our premier spray brand. First T-shirt I ever made was a Krylon T-shirt, and I made it just for the homies. Because, again, you wouldn't know what a Krylon T-shirt was unless you were into graph or spray paint. People didn't understand what it was. And I just hand-printed these shirts, gave them out to all the graph dudes who happened to be people of, you know, that everybody's, oh, shit, Lee. or this. Just friends. They were just friends at the time. And they're still like, oh, shit, Lee, Zeph, whatever. But I made the shirts in Zeph's house, right? And I started giving them out. But Lenny, when we were going to Europe, was like, yo, I know you know it's a good silk screener because I was making T-shirts for Sam's band or whatever. He's like, yeah, why don't, we, why don't we make some shirts? We'll bring, them, we'll bring them with us to France. I was like, I bet. So I made a future, I made a Krylon and a Rust-Oleum shirt way before Supreme. Check the databanks. Mm. Sorry, guys. I did that before you. No offense. Okay. Is this the logo or the can? I did, I did the logo, the Rust-Oleum logo, but where it says Stop Rust, I put the little Scottish guy that was their icon on the top of the can. So I had a little creative license, but it was really for, again, for graffiti dudes, for us, like, yeah, oh, shit, what? Yeah, you know how we, Josh, we get amped on our genre that nobody gets, a little D- early DIY, right? So we go to Europe, and there I am trying to sell these shirts. I don't speak fucking French. I'm walking around a museum like I'm at a Grateful Dead concert selling T-shirts in the park. How much? They might have been 15 bucks, and I don't speak French, but Futurist <laughs> flew it in French. So he's like, Casse Franc. You just say, Casse Franc, and they'll, they'll know what to do. And I'm like, I don't even know how to give change. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> I get grabbed by security in the museum. It was the Trocadero Museum. Big show. Crash, Days, Future, a bunch of American artists. I was in a show the next day with Lee and a bunch of other people at another spot. That's what brought us both at the same time. And I remember Futura having to go and talk to them and saying, all right, he won't sell shirts. Give them back when he leaves, whatever, whatever. But it was, it was mental. We get home from that trip. No, while we were on that trip, Gerb had given Mick Jones... One of the Krylon shirts. And he wore the fucking thing on American, some award show that he was, whatever. We got to go back. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I want to go online and try and find sure. the, the, the award show. But Mick wore it. And Gerb was like, yo, we got we to gotta do something when you guys are back. Oh, shit. So we, we formed a little collective. And I, you know, I'm such a Subway fanatic and so is Lenny and Gerb's just a city dude or whatever. But we were like, hey, GFS, Gerb Futura Stash. That was sort of like our little thing. And I was like, no problem because there's a G train, an F train, and an S train. So obviously I'm going to take the iconography of our life as I've been doing, Krylon t-shirts or whatever. And back then, fresh was the big word in the early 90s, right? It was like, yo, that's fresh. It was before flying dope. Fresh was really the one. And so I was trying to think of another way of saying fresh. So I was like, not from concentrate. That's like a juice product, but it was like made fresh, not from con. So it was like GFS, not from concentrate. That was the name. I was like, fuck it. We're going with that. And we all were like, all right, cool. Now, mind you, Gerb is 12 years older than me. Lenny's 12 years older than me. Here I am as like the little guy Friday bitch for these guys. Hey, I got the idea. I'm going to do this. All right, I'll go do it. Okay, I, I was like the runner. I was the teacher. Yeah, yeah. Walla. I was the fucking guy Friday. I was everything in that operation. And I didn't mind. I was 23. I was like, you know what? You know what? I'm psyched right now. Future, as much as he's a good, dear friend, I idolized the dude for like the shit he brought to our community, the brake train, all the shit he did. I can't even believe like me and dude are homies. Oh, my God. We're working together. You know, 
I could separate it quite easily and give dude what he deserves. But then again, it's just Lenny's a good friend of mine. He's like my mentor, my big brother, sure. whatever. So we started this little company, and the next shirt that I did was the Philly Blunt shirt. Futura was really into the armor on tanks, and he drew these tanks, and he did this shirt called Cobham, which was the metal plating armor on tanks, and it was a, an interesting shirt for Futura, but it had his tag on the front, and everybody, ah. Gerb, funny enough, did a shirt called Bug. His first shirt with our company was called Bug, and it was a bomb, very much like the 100 logo. Yeah. It's kind of odd that when I think about that, I don't think Bobby or Ben or those guys leaned or looked at that, but coincidentally... In the process of design, Gerb had done this shirt, and I brought Philly Blunt to the table because, Lord knows, we smoked enough blunts sure. that it was like the next thing after Krylon Rustoleum, and I just printed a Philly Blunt shirt, and that shit went fucking nuts, and it, it was the beginning and end. It was like we were a punk band with one good record and died after it because of that. <laughs> so Philly Blunt killed us. So so Nort right. What, what, what does that Let's mean for people who, who listen? Like, how did that, like, what does so that mean? Years later, from? when I had the opportunity to do a shoe store, I was thinking, of, you know, I honestly, I wanted to call it Step Off because that's a good phrase in our world. And sure, sure, like, yeah. yeah. Peace out. Yeah, the idea of like, a sneaker here. store or whatever, but it just sounded too mall shop to me. It sounded like, you know, I'm going to be in the fucking, you know, King's Plaza. You know, you know Staten Island. But I wish, I wish I did it then. But anyway, Nort is Tron. Spelled backwards. Mm. And Tron, for those who don't know, is an incredible sci-fi movie from the 80s. And there was a designer named Sid Mead, who is an incredible designer. And his design and, and, and hand in the movie is what fascinated me. So I designed my store after some Sid Mead stuff. And I even had, like, his designs, you know, on the glass, like frosted into yeah. the glass yeah. in my original store. Yeah. And the pods of the shoes, it's sort of like when dudes were going to go in the light cycle and they grab the thing and it went up around them. That's how I envisioned, like, the shoe pods. And I went to my good friend Joe at Brooklyn Machine Works. I was like, dude, I got a crazy idea. I want it all done out of metal. He was the only dude at the time with a CC machine that you could communicate normal language to that could translate it. Joe really came hard swinging and helped me create what was the pedestals for our shoes mm. and they were all handmade by uh, joe that's which is pretty cool people don't know brooklyn machine works is an amazing hand-done bike company from brooklyn i think pharrell got involved early yeah, on yeah to help them i see nigel sylvester doing some things with them yeah and, and joe's he's he, he himself is a phenomenal artist but getting to collaborate again it was all about our friends it was everybody how here's a good one my first door recon you know who jefferson pang is jeff pang no, I don't think so. Jeff Peng is a professional skateboarder. He used to skate for Zoo York. He now manages like Supreme. You know, he stayed in the community. Oh, okay, I think I, yeah. Right? Amazing dude. He's also an electrician. He did all the electric in my first store. Really? Yeah. All right, so, so listen. There's so much of us that are all do so much shit. Man. Remember when you asked like what, what what a podcast was? Yeah, are we still doing that? Yeah. Uh, oh, what you dropped about Nort? Yeah. That's why podcasts are dope. Because oh, I had no idea. And from the looks of it, Mike Wapalooza had no idea what the fuck Nort meant. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, so, right? so, so, so check this out. So check this out. What about recon? Well, I mean, recon. You know the word recon, reconnaissance. You know, to me, I always felt we were just a little too ahead of the curve, as as many designers are. I don't, I don't think we're. You know, my shit don't stink. I'm just one of many, many, many voices getting heard by a vast audience, right, in design world and creative. And to me, Recon was just that sort of like, yo, Pete, you go out on Recon, you tell us what's up, and you report back. We'll know what's what's coming ahead of us. So the idea of Recon was like, yeah, we're just one step ahead. We're just 
We're just making some fly shit. And we were always military influenced by design, sure. by style, you know, the whole utilitarian look. It didn't matter if you were a gas station attendant, the Dickies, the sure, sure, military sure. shit, the camel or the BDU. It all had such an amazing impact on us to this day. You know, we, 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 <laughs> you have done, we'll get into that soon, but you have done so many collaborations with brands. Uh, you're known for this blue there's light blue, there's dark blue, this, you could explain better than me, but where the fuck did you, it's like your, it's your trademark, right? And I don't think you could trademark colors, but it's your trademark, right? I'm, I'm definitely been pigeonholed or sort of, hey, let's call them out on that. Yeah, you know, I've been asked this a lot of times, right? The blue, the gray has been a constant in my design. And, you know, I'm just going to say, and I've, I've tried to figure out the origin of it because Sometimes you just do shit. You don't really, you don't get asked why you're doing. It. You're sure, just sure, doing you're just stuff. doing it. Yeah. Later, you got to think back and try and. And I don't know if I concocted it. I don't know if I manufactured it. I do believe it's true, and I'll let you and the audience sort of know. It's sort of like I'm a city kid, so I rode the subways, which I brought up a lot. The original train was gray with a blue stripe. Yeah, that's right. Had a lot of impact on me. The subway system, blue poles with gray cement. We live in the city. It's all gray with blue sky. You know, it's, I'm just all about, like I said earlier, I could look at something and be like, oh shit, look at the, look at the way the erosion on that. That's so dope. The way, you know, that's why if, if, if people who know me and follow me, I'm always out in the country with my dog. I'm always looking at tree bark and different, because it's research for me. It's just sort of like, how can I be creative? How can I constantly update my, you know, what I need visually to just sort of get me going? Did you? Yeah, I think I think the blue and the gray is just it's just city. It's urban. It's it's the train. It's you know, what I just said. It's that's I think that's sort of where it came. But it wasn't until I incorporated into multiple Nike projects that it became more of my sort of trademark. But how people, does that even happen? I don't know. I no, don't know. I mean, no, it's like I I hear so much shit. I'm like, what? Really? Wow. That really? No. How does it started with the pack? No, but well, no, but how does I did my even, first how shoe? Even, how does it? Yeah, how does that? How, okay, how it started was with Nike and blue for myself was when I did first my, time you ever did a collaboration. Second shoe, okay. my first shoe was the nozzle. Okay, 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 okay. And I got asked like by Mark, who I'd met, hey, if you could do a shoe, what would you? I said, when you say Mark, Mark, you mean Mark, Mark Smith, Mark, Mark Parker. Parker? Okay. You want to go back to that? All right. So I didn't even know who the fucking guy was. Okay. How the f if you're not into the company, you don't know. So huge. I don't know if you're the president of this sector or the boss. Who knows? Where'd I you meet the guy him? in Tokyo with Hiroshi. Hiroshi's like, yo, come down. You got to meet this guy. I'm like, all right, whatever. And and again, we're all just friends. I know it sounds like name dropping, but please forgive me. It's no, like no, no, it's Pete, not, Joe, had... Hiroshi, Pete, Joe. It doesn't matter. We're all, they just have very cool jobs apparently, right? Okay. Hiroshi introduces me to Mark. We're sitting at Albacanal, which is no longer there, our favorite spot in Meiji Dori in Tokyo, crazy little French bistro. And I meet Mark. Mark's like, okay, if, you know, whatever. He's really, Mark is very eclectic and he knows everything. He's the Wizard of Oz, in my opinion, because he's really into art and knows everything about it. He's not just a corporate dude. He's not just, yeah, he is that guy. So fuck what you've heard. Fuck everything. Mark Parker is an amazing human being, straight up. Now, I don't know him when I meet him, right? I don't know his history. I don't know anything. He's, hey, I'm going to come to New York and this and that. Yo, I'm going to, yeah, well, if you could do a shoe, what would you do? You know, we're just sort of fluffing, talking, getting to know each other. And he hands me his card. Mark Parker said president. And I'm thinking, again, I don't know, president in Japan. You know, the company's so big. I don't know. And I'm in Japan, so I don't know. He's local. 
I learned that later. Oh, shit. You met the boss of the boss. I was like, all right, whatever. It didn't matter. Because we met on a friendly kind. It was like two guys had a conversation. Look what happened. That's how it happened. So I meet Mark. I get to work on my first shoe, which was the spray nozzle. And it was a nod to Dr. Bruce, Gil Dr. Bruce Kilgore's first Air Force One. I did the same thing. I just basically said the first Air Force One I ever had was a suede upper, had the mesh. It was white. It was, you know, just, oh, my God, I want to sort of, how can I tip my hat to that? That was my first shoe. But the blue, just jumping back to what you asked me about, the blue was when I got asked to do a shoe for the celebrity pack. They were doing this thing where they were using an artist, a musician, and an entertainer, either an actor or somebody, and they teamed them up. It was like Futura, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Pharrell. I don't know. Nelly, I, I think I remember. I forgot the names of who was Nelly. Yeah. Espo did. I Espo think Nelly did, was yeah. part of our group. I don't know. But they asked me, what shoe do you want to do? And I said, I want to do a BW. And they were like, what? They, you know, they thought I was going to do what was contemporary, sure. what was going on a Dunk or a 180. Sure. I was like, no, a BW. That shoe made me fucking nuts. I drove all over the city. I'm a size nine. And yes, I will wear a ladies 11. I don't give a fuck if the color's right. You're goddamn right. If the shit matches the thread <laughs> in my hat or that one takeaway that you don't got, yeah, I'll rock those. I drove all over the city one day and I found a VIM up in the cut that had this one orange and gray pair of BWs that I fucking wore into the ground. So when they asked me if I want to do a shoe, I said to BW, they were like, wow, that's a, that's a crazy hit. That's, and I said, come on, the, the big window, everybody. That shit changed the game for sure. all of us. The construction, when you look at that style of shoe, you could see the cobbling. You could, I like that about shoes. I don't like foam composites that look like, you know, like just some futuristic toaster oven shit. I don't like that. I like, that's why I like the 95. I like shoes sure. that you can see like the whole like, oh, shit. The BW was that shoe for me. So I did a couple of colorways, right? Because when you sample the shoe, you, you, you lay it out on your computer, which is the easiest thing, dropping colors and play. I did one yellow colorway that I was almost going to go with, but then Reese Forbes dropped his first SB, which was orange, that really weedy yellow. Weed, yeah. And I brown, had something yeah. very similar in my go, just miscellaneously. But I was like, all right, randomly, whatever. I had a, a, a white, red, and gray version, which I later put on my Instagram recently. It's like, yo, what is that? You know, because you like fucking with people years sure, later. Sure, sure. I was like, oh, I don't know, just something. You know, they don't know if it's new or old. And then I did a blue version, but I had asked Nike, can I use Gore-Tex? I wanted to make a waterproof shoe. I wanted to make a shoe that sneakerheads, because I had just started learning more about. I wasn't a, I was a sneakerhead that didn't know I was a sneakerhead. I wasn't participating in the world. I didn't have the right to understand that, but I was in a position to make shoes. And I said, I want to make a shoe that if it starts raining, you don't have to, oh, shit, I'm wearing my, my... I was like, yo, we could we can do that, right? They were like, we can't use Gore-Tex. That's a license. They explained to me the process. I had no idea at that time. But they had their own in-house proprietary fabric called, was it Climafit or what's their... Or forgive climate me. control? Or? Yeah, they, they make their own ACG, uses their own... Like a generic, not generic, but their own version of Gore-Tex. They have their own in-house. Yeah. I said, well, I want to use that. And, you know, matter of fact, that's the blue that I'm using on the blue version of the colorway. Let's sample that as well. Right? So I had three samples, and it was the blue one that resonated because it had that water. It had more of the story I wanted to tell in it. That's how the blue shoe first came up with myself and Nike was trying to find a waterproof fat. But I had done a blue version. I still have all the original comps. And so I have the yellow version. Again, it was a Reese Forbes. I just dropped it. I was like, ah, it's beautiful. It's yellow suede. It was really nice. And you know, on the BW, it has that dope double yep. rubbered, 
you know, they did it really nice. But the blue, forget it. I went over. I was like, you're fucking bugging. You know, most people, when you hear these stories of creating shoes back in the day, Nike, you know, you know, you'll speak for yourself, but Nike gave them like their own sneakers. They never gave them money. Like, was you- I never got paid. I never got one check from Nike for any of the shoes up until recently on a marketing conversation, but not on a product conversation. So there was no everybody out there who thinks, oh, you got paid. I had people come up to me and just presume the craziest shit. Oh, well, you, you probably don't have to pay for the shoes in your store, right? Oh, yeah, no, Nike just gives that to all their friends, yeah. Every store they're friends with just gets free shoes. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and that was from another retailer, which I'll tell you his name when we're off camera okay. and off mic. And you're going to be like, get the fuck out of here. That's how silly our world became, yeah. that people just come with the crazy whip. They just don't know. So you, make, you, 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 you create a sneaker with Nike, and they don't pay you, right? You know, but you get like pairs. Like, how did it? You know. Yeah, you get you get like, family and friends pairs. Sometimes it depends on the project. For myself, I worked on multiple projects. So the first shoe I did, which was the Air Force, we talked yep. about with Mark. I was the only retailer in New York that could sell it. That's because as a retailer, I knew how to flip it for myself. Like, okay, I'll do it, but I want to. Uh, how do I get paid on it? What's the best? Now the payday working with Nike, as you know, is just paramount because yeah. oh shit you got a nike shoe cha-ching you don't have to get paid the world has just paid you by the the head nod the tip of the hat the but see the problem is the clout and the problem is nike knows that all too well so after a certain time you're like hey fuck you i can't pay my mortgage with your cool yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, you're dope. Yeah. And that has changed. That no, has that changed. Has there's changed. a lot of people getting yeah. money now, no, I know and that. there's nothing wrong with that. No, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think they can fucking afford it. Yeah. And not in a negative way, but I've been to dinner parties that they throw cost more than, you know, we could cure the deficit. Three and a half pound lobsters stashes eating of it is fucking And I, I get it. It's that department had the money. This department doesn't. Well, you better give products some money because you, you know what I'm saying? Listen, you know what? odd the way that works. You know what? Let's take a quick break. I mean, uh, the journey is fucking uh, crazy. We're sitting here, unfiltered conversations, legendary graffiti artist, designer. My guy, Stash, is in the building. We'll be right back. Fucking Pete. Don't go nowhere. Shit. Yo, what up? This is Jeff Staple, founder of Staple Design, and you are locked in to the Premium Pete Show. Internets, and we're back, sitting here with the one and only Stash. Internets. Interconnected networks. I love that. Yeah. Is that part of the podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's doing that podcast you told me about? It's like like the blue and the fucking gray. You know what I mean? It's the gray area. Yeah, you know. It's like the (laughs) butterfly effect for me. He's over here now. I'm over here now. Uh, Listen, Stash. Yes, sir. Your journey is—it's crazy. One day I love for, that your hair is that you don't—you don't talk a lot, man. No, you know if you go. No, I do to my friends. That's—that's that's the crazy. Like, <laughs> if you know me, yeah. And they're always like, "Yo, you should." And but it's easy to talk to friends. Like it's easy to talk to you yeah. right now. I don't generally do it because I don't really, I don't really care. No, to. no, I know, I know. But I appreciate you. Mike's my—he's the G all day. Yeah. So now you listen, don't ask me for much. Yeah. I ask questions about. No, you ask questions, but you don't ask me. To, he's like, "Yo, you need to." I was like, "All right, are you asking him." There you go. Listen, I was on the Globe Tour. Of course it is. That you, Rick Rubin remix? So fucking stop it. You, so many graffiti artists. Yes. And uh, if this is something you don't want to talk about, we'll cut this shit out. But no uh, so many graffiti artists still bomb to this day. Yeah. Uh, it's an addiction they have, meaning like they get a scratch, like an itch. They gotta, you know, they gotta go. I know so many graffiti artists, forty something years old, still go out like and fucking, hit, you know, hit something up. 
You know, I'm not going to ask you. It's funny because this is a funny question because I don't want him to say something where you get in trouble. If no, you're... I can say that because I yeah. don't hit nothing up. Yeah. I don't. I get the itch, but I have two kids. I got a lot to lose. I lost a lot in my life, and I'm not willing to do it over writing my name anymore. Yeah. You know, there's a difference when you live in your mom's house. Yeah. You're like, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Call my mother. Go ahead. Yeah. You know what I mean? But as you grow and mature, there's also... I, I've owned properties. I don't anymore. I would hate to... And I used to always be out front painting over it because I know how to eliminate it. You just erase it quickly and they don't bomb anymore. They didn't know it was my spot, but I just knew how to how to deal with it. But, yeah, I don't do it for a lot of reasons, you know. But But I paint all the time. And I contribute to any graph jam, any sort of, you know, that recognizes us in a different form. I'm not an illegal bomber. And you know what? For all you younger writers that are like, fuck you, fuck you too. <laughs> because I don't need to do it to be cool for you. Yeah. We did, when we were writing graffiti, you weren't even thought of. The kids that are the critics now. We live in different worlds. What about live in your world. What about people going over Stash? Do you remember those days? Of course I do. Hey, it's crazy how serious that was. What about when Stash went over you? I yeah. mean, there was there was one of those. Not a lot. Not a lot. I was a little smaller, a little sort of like, eh, I don't really want to go there. But I did. <laughs> you have to. Yeah. It is what it is, man. It's just the natural progression of our movement. You know, you bombed a lot of trains uh, throughout the years. I did. You know, do you remember, can you take us through like the first time you ever bombed the train? Yeah. Like, I mean, I remember like yesterday... And it was a guy named Sharp and another artist named Delta Two that were going to take me up to Zuriga. Zuriga Avenue, for those who don't know, is a, a, a stop on the 6th train in the Bronx on the elevated platform, which is the outdoor, above you sort of yep. platform. And what they would do, it's called a layup. And in the evenings and off hours, they would lay the trains up on the off hours. So rather than being in the yards, which is at the end of every line in any direction they used certain stations that had auxiliary lanes to park trains that were not in service during any particular hour and we happen to know the schedules that's the whole graffiti sort of thing that you just gets handed down from you know one head to the next and you just know where trains get laid up on any given time and they were going to take me and okay how old was i let me figure that out i'm not good with math so no um, I was mad young, and I remember being up in Sharp's house. They were like, all right, come on, we're getting on the train. And it was like a good half an hour, 40-minute ride. And on that train ride, I went on a roller coaster in my head to the point that I peed and threw up. I was so nervous about what I was about to do. And I don't think it was being scared. It was like an excitement. My, I couldn't take it. The overload of, oh, we're going my first time to a layup. I can't even believe it. And when we got there, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't happening. We couldn't do it. And I remember being more disappointed and not being able to hit the train that night than not getting my favorite whatever from mom at Christmas or whatever. It was one of the biggest disappointments in my life because of the fucking range I went through on the train ride going up there. I can't believe I'm doing it. I'm fucking, I'm going to do it. I had to psych myself up because, like, dude, it's, it's real shit. Sure, sure. You're walking out on the elevated platform. You're going to. And I remember the next time I went was a Sunday morning. And it was the same scenario where I was like, I was a, but I got to bomb. And I got to write my name, and I didn't stop. And I was like, oh, shit, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life. And I still remember it like it was yesterday. Was it, was it dripping? incredible. Oh, man. I, I went with a guy named Sharp that Sunday again who was a pro. He was like an older brother, my older brother's friend, who was like, oh, you down with grass? All right, come on, I'm going I'm to school you, I'm going to son you, you know, whatever it was in the language of that day. And I remember dude must have wrote his name a thousand times. I had two tags, and I was <laughs> proud of both of them. You know, I hadn't, I hadn't got my flow. I hadn't learned how to, you know, it didn't look like what it looks like today. I was very young and new to it. 
and over time, you know, you sort of accelerate it and you work and you become part of it. But I was so like, oh, my fucking God, I can't believe I'm doing, you know, I was so mystified that I crossed over from, see, graffiti, we used to do this thing called motion bombing. And you could get up early or stay up late and get on the train when there's really nobody on it. So in between the train stops, you pull out a marker, write your name real quick, put it away and sit down. Right? It's called motion tagging. Now I needed to elevate my game. I need to go to a yard or a layup. I got I to gotta, I gotta do this. I got I to gotta go to the next level. And it was mind-boggling. It was fucking amazing. Mm. It, it's some shit that, like, if my kids ever did, I'd be freaked the fuck out. You know, we I know how crazy what I did. It was sketchy as shit. Dude. We worry. Oh, the sketchiest part. Sketchiest. Uh, sketchiest. A lot of them. Graffiti I mean, story. Just any. any um, yeah, I mean, I got okay. Henry in 1982, or early 82, late 81. Word was out that Henry Chalfant, who was the premier documentarian, who was taking photos of trains. Hadn't published books yet, but you could go to his studio if you knew what was up. And he had portfolio after portfolio of every train that he cropped together. And he had everything from the Bronx to Queens. To, I mean, the dude, to this day, you look up Henry Chalfant, for those who don't know. He has a book called Subway Art. He also did a movie called Style Wars, which is a premier documentation of a period of time that voices for all of us beyond. It's still very relevant to this day. So fucking peep it. He would let you go to his studio to peep all the trains, right? So word was out that he was doing this documentary, you know, a movie. Star Wars, you don't know the name, but Henry's doing a movie. Everybody was going painting. Everybody was like, yo, we got to hit it hard. There was an influx of, like, people just wiling out. And there was a graffiti artist named Sharp I told you about, and another guy from the Bronx named G-Man. He used to do the letter G and an arrow that would come down from the G. Dude had a prosthetic leg. He would walk around on crutches. The motherfucker was out on the layup fucking with Fuck. crutches. I was left on the station. Yo, watch out. We're going to whatever, whatever. I, had a, I used to roll with a little Samsonite. I thought I was clever. Little Samsonite briefcase had markers. A little businessman wannabe and shit with all my toys. I get grabbed on the station. Now, they're far out on the layup. You know, f the layup meaning the station ends and about maybe 20 yards on the actual track is where the train starts that's parked. So they're dumb out, far out there. I'm on the platform just sort of like lingering. Come on, who's on a platform at like, you know, 145 in the morning on Brooks Avenue or some crazy stop we were in the Bronx. I forget the name. And the cop just gets out. He's like, hey, come here. What are you doing over here? I don't know if I knew how to articulate. I don't know if because then the racial profile, well, he's white. He must be telling the truth. I don't know. I used every fucking trick I had. I'm not the droid you're looking for. And sure enough, the next train came as the guy was, the cop was talking to me. He's like, get on this train. Show me your, because I said something. Oh, I got off at the wrong. He's like, yeah, get on the, so I just got on the train. <laughs> left my dudes, which was good because, you know, later I heard the story of ours. Everybody went in different directions kind of thing. But that was, that was my only real cop thing. I've never, ever had a confrontation with a police officer about writing graffiti. I've been so blessed on Whatever it was, I've been chased by track workers, MTA workers. Hey, what are you doing? They're throwing sticks at me and our boys, and we all ran in tunnels. I've been confronted by other artists. I got robbed at gunpoint. 
I, for my paint, nothing ever happened, but they like lifted the shirt. Like, yeah, you don't want, yeah, yeah you're right. I don't want none of this. Whatever, yes, you're right. You are correct, my friend. But I actually heard something, and I could already see that, you you, you know, you, you're a thorough dude, okay? And what I mean is you don't, like, you're a nice guy, but don't fuck around with you. I don't know how much truth is, I don't know where the fuck I even heard this from, but that you were in, uh, in a way in, in maybe in sneaker pimps, uh, okay, and they somebody tried to steal a watch from you or something no, like that. Oh, yeah, I okay, and you were like, Hell, fucking no, I think you... I'm sitting in a cab in Mexico City. Craig Weatherby, do you know this name? Craig Weatherby, he was the photo editor of Frank 151 magazine, he's a phenomenal human being, a great photographer. Big props, Craig, you know, I love you, my, my dude. Whatever, he's in the front seat, I'm in the back seat of this hired SUV, right. For those who don't know, Sneaker Pimps was a traveling sneaker music art show. And they would go city to city. They would go on tour. Shouts to Peter Fay. Right. So Peter Fay brought us out to Mexico City. We're on a lunch break. We're at the venue. We're on a lunch break going home back to the hotel. My wife and kids were at the hotel. Okay. Craig, front passenger seat. Peter Fay sitting next to me. His pregnant wife at the time, Diane, sitting next to him. Fuck. We pull up to a light. At like a famous piazza, whatever you call it, you know, and the big monument right there at, at a certain light. And the driver goes, because he sees Craig's got his big camera on his lap. You know, I had a big, you know, we both carried like proper 35 millimeters. His was more pro because he's a whatever. And the guy rolls down the window telling us, yo, you need to take a photo of this. All of a sudden, I look up and there's a fucking gun on the temple of my head. And I'm telling you, I've never seen a revolver that close. I've seen Glocks modern guns this looked like natural museum of history shit like cartoon where you could see the barrel and the like the bullet heads that were like on either side of the you know whatever and i was like oh shit and i thought he was going for my camera and apparently he saw the watch right i had i just not a big fucking rich dude but i saved up i bought myself a rolex i thought that was like something sure. i wanted and the dude took my watch off so fucking fast with the shit on the temple of my head the light changed the guy drove away okay now, you hear the story from Pete and Craig, it's even crazier. Oh, let's go back to Craig. As the guy's got the shit on my head, I see Craig rolling his window up. Because I was like, what the fuck? What the? I just remember him rolling the window up, and there was a guy outside of his window with a gun, but he didn't make it in. This guy had the shit pressed up against my head. Took my watch off, car drives away. Pete tells a story like, you were like, no, it's a fake. No, what do you... I, was, I don't remember that. All I remember was like, oh, shit. Like, I just remember like... Seizing. Like everything stopped for me for a moment, for a moment. Light changed. We drove away. I had a Blackberry at the time. I remember trying to type, and I was like, I was flipping the thing around. I couldn't, like, oh, my God, I was trying to tip my wife. I was trying to, you know, I was like, what the fuck just happened? We get back to the hotel. Crazy shit. Ghostface was the musical act on this particular sneaker pimps. We get into the hotel lobby. Ghost is there with three of his entourage and a manager. Now, Ghost is a big man. Okay, the hood on his hoodie could be a sleeping bag for my son. He's a big boy. He overhears all of it. What you got, Rob? Yo, son. Yo, I don't need this shit. Like he was bugging. I was like, you're bugging. What you, you? Nobody's gonna look at you, dude. Right? It was such a crazy thing. So I get robbed. Now I got to go back to the venue, and do the gig, and I got to tell my wife, yeah, I just got robbed. I there was a big controversy because we knew the driver had to be involved. You rolled the window down. I didn't roll my window down. You were like, yo, get, fo you know, it was a whole big controversy. The liaison at Nike, my buddy Nettie, who I'm still friends with to this day, got Nike to replace my watch. Because what? he was like, yo, 
You he's in a Nike fire. he's in a Nike hired car. Right? Listen, I could have made a much bigger deal out of it, I think. I mean, nobody paid for the therapy. I was in shock for a long time after that. I've been fucked with. I'd never had a fucking gun put to the side of my head. That's pretty fucking nuts, right? Took my shit and heads acting all nonchalant. I had to go back and be like, yeah, sneaker pimps. How do you like Mexico City? Yeah, it's dope. I'm doing all this press, and I'm thinking like, yo, bro. like, yeah, What the fuck's my watch? Fucking shit better fed a village or something. What the fuck is going on out there, man? <laughs> it was bug- And I love Mexico City. I'll go back. I've been back, and I'll go back, and I love it. I just didn't like that day on that car, that moment. That was... That was pretty rough. That's crazy, man. Well, shouts to Nike for replacing him, man. Yeah, they were very kind about that. They understood, and they they really stepped up, man. You know, Nettie, who was the liaison at the time through Mexico, expressed to the, you know, everybody in the powers that be. It wasn't a, a favor. Oh, he knows. No, it was like somebody under Nike's care got taken advantage of. Let's correct it. And they were very kind to do that. Yo, isn't it crazy if, like, you, you, <laughs> that was crazy. you, know, you you're a guy that pays attention to detail. In this day and age... In, in 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 customer service and retail, I think we were speaking about this off air, and even with Supreme and Shasta Supreme, but it's like crazy how the more nasty you are, the more people love fucking Supreme. And all we talk about is customer service. A lot of people like how it's important to be good customer service. What's your thoughts on streetwear today? Is is, is there streetwear today? Because it seems like it's it's taking another turn and it's going to be labeled as something different. It's sort of It's not what it was when I was, let's say, more of a participant. And I think, you know, as we spoke about, you know, like prior to you getting here, Mike, we were talking about the industry. And I said, remember in the Stretch and Bobito documentary where they asked Bobito, like, hey, why did the show sort of die out? What happened? He said, we're only as good as the music that's around us. You know, they call it a movement. But if we're not participating, it's not movement. Still water becomes stagnant. You know, every now and again... Our industry takes a little bit of a turn or a hit or a, you know, something something happens, you know, to either the brand or the audience, the, you know, the customer. And things shift, you know, whether it's a design taste or a, the music that's going on at the time directs a bit of the fashion at the time. You know, there's so, I mean, you could, we could bring Mike in. He's the guy. I would go to Mike, but. was one of the first. I think so. I, 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 I would I, I would like to think so because of my hey, I, I, I did that, but I would say so because yeah, it was it was a turning point in how we all perceived what we did as a subculture, right? What we did, all of our it became more relevant. Everything becomes more relevant, right? Graffiti will never last really. Wow, that's a great. That's an the Philly Bunt license. Yeah, remember, remember earlier I told you about how Mick Jones wore our shirt. Yeah. Okay. So Adam Horowitz. Okay. I went to school. Rest in peace with Adam Yauk. We were all downtown Beastie kids. Boys. Yeah, Beastie Boys. Horowitz, friends with him. Mike, my ex-girl, homie. You know, we all had a a crew. But Gerb was very close with those guys. Our partner Gerb, really close with Mike. I think Adam wore the shirt on MTV. There's photos of him online. You can see Horowitz rocking the Philly Blunt shirt. And I believe the origin of how it happened was he wore the shirt on MTV. Have a Tampa cigar company that holds a license for Philly Blunt called Capital Music. Got in touch with the Beastie Boys manager. The Beastie Boys manager called Mike from the boys, and Mike called Gerb. So we called Have a Tampa, and they were like, cigarettes and tobacco haven't been allowed to be advertised on TV since the late 70s or mid-70s, whatever the year was, 60s or something. 
how the fuck did we pull this off? We'd like to give you guys a license. And I didn't even know what a license was. How about that? It was offered to us by default. <laughs> that's how it happened. See, that's when you talk about legendary, that's why those moments even, you know, and that's why, believe it or not, your moments like that inspire other people. Hey man, I, I, I wish I can inspire other people as much as other people inspire me. If I can give a third back to what I fortunately intake, I would be blessed. And if I can do it, believe me, I'm accessible. Heads no. You you see me walking down the street. I'm sure. not shy. I can say hello. I can stash 1.0, a little buggy. We talked about that off, yeah, yeah. off camera, all right? It was, there was a lot going on trying to figure out who I am and where I got to be, like any of us, okay? But I'll be the first to take, like I said, I want the credit, good or bad, right? It doesn't matter. If it's me, I got to deal with it, right? That's the most human thing I can do. But the biggest thing is you figuring that out. You know, to well, become Stash 2.0. Stash 2.0 is the Stash 2.0 is a nicer guy. You know what I mean? He's got a little, a little bit more patience. He's dealing more, with the CBD oils. He's rubbing <laughs> on his fucking <laughs> kneecaps. Well, that story. That's me We're not, yeah. <laughs> well, Mike 1.0, was even, was oh, yeah, even oh, rougher yeah. than me. Oh, yeah. Because, yo, dude was like, uh, yeah, let's, you want to be real about this? I was like, no, no, I'm good. No, <laughs> How we fix this? What did I do? <laughs> yo, yo, so check this out. So, so we, it, the journey, True I guess story. That, True story. I'll take it. Totally <laughs> fuck with dude hard. Yeah, I'm trying to meet up. <laughs> no, but it was like, yeah, I'll hook it up. I ain't going to hook you up. All right, I'll hook you up. He's like, yo, bro. The, the, journey, the journey is crazy, but when you think but about I it. But I own it, all right? At the yeah. end of the day, I'm going to own it. Forgive me or not. <laughs> fuck me, fuck you. It's fine. I don't, you know, we're here now. Where the we're fuck did... We're over here now. We're over here now. Where the fuck did Reebok come in? <sighs> that was a mistake. Honestly, that was that was one of those like bad relationships you get into on a rebound of another relationship. You know what I mean? It was like, I'll be mad real in here, okay? I went through a personal bankruptcy at the loss of my store. I got hit by every vendor. Friends are your friends until you owe them $11.25 over a fucking t-shirt that got water damage, okay? I paid the bills. I paid the price. I, di I did it. I lost my house. I lost my wife. I went through a divorce. It was a gruesome, mad real period. I take credit. I own it. It's me. I did a shoe for Reebok through a mutual friend that I won't mention because I'm no longer friends with and I don't care to involve in the story. It'll go somewhere we have to go. And that led to an opportunity to do something bigger. And there was a guy at Reebok named Ryan Cross who I'd met many, many years. We knew a lot of the same people. He was really the catalyst to sort of bring me in. And it wasn't his fault, but I got sold a little bit of a pipe dream. Yeah, we're going to A, B, and C, but they really D, E, and F'd me, and it wasn't that deaf. So, you know what I'm saying? It was like a switch and bait and a little bit of a... But, you know, like I said, I was rebuilding my life, coming out of a lot of fucked up shit. And it was an opportunity that I looked at with an open mind, but quickly realized it wasn't a very good opportunity for me not on a financial or whatever but the essence of who we are the dna where we come from to to work at a company like reebok and drop a small handful of shoes and still be called a nike guy somebody's not doing their part sure and i was i was up against a lot reebok was going through a lot as a brand i don't want to I don't know what to say other than like, yo, I hear you. There was five or six different marketing people in the small period that I was there. There was no common thread that pulled it together or told the story right. Everything was, I think they really, 
not Ryan, who was product-based and knew we could make good shit if they allowed us to, but I think they looked at it like, oh, we get this guy, and he brings this in. But you got to do your part, too, homie. Sure, sure. You can't just count on the designer. You got to... So you, you got to you got to you got to work me. it. I can't I can I can't push the ladder. I'm in a mountain up a ladder without you. And so there was a bit of that that happened in that relationship and I was really soured, but I was really also kind of psyched cuz I got to travel and do certain things and meet people, but it was it was just kind of sad because I like to be proud of what I work on and I have to say I I kind of feel bad about my relationship with Reebok cuz I don't celebrate it. Yeah. And I celebrate a lot of stuff. Pardon? The pump, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I got was. to do a lot of interesting stuff when they allowed it. And the stuff that's sort of like, yeah, that's all right. You, I, I'll be the first to say, yeah, they didn't do what I, I hoped to be done. And things happen. And listen, it's a he said, she said game at the end of it. Because they'll say this and I'll say that. But I'll just say again, like, hey, it didn't work out. Here's the difference between Nike and Reebok. Did Reebok pay you for that? Yes, I was under contract for Reebok. Reebok. Reebok was a decision for me to work with them because it was a paycheck. And it sure. was a, a way to rebuild a little bit of sure, capital, personal growth, capital. I went through a lot, and I thought, like, you know what? New opportunity. Let me just step out of my comfort zone. But then I, I realized, like, wow, this is really kind of not who I am. Not dissing them, but that's just a different culture than sure, my culture. Sure. And I think they thought I could give them more, but they didn't enforce or bring up the the they 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 pushed me out but didn't back it up and things they told me they would do they didn't do now travis scott who funny enough is this big nike ambassador right now my first shoes with reebok which was supposed to be my shoes stash my name i'll say it with quotation fingers for those who aren't looking i curated a package city classics where i got to invite 12 artists from 12 different cities to represent their city to do a shoe. And then I was going to do some shoes in the package, right? They all of a sudden, I, I, I didn't even get told. And this is why I'm like, wow, yeah, the relationship wasn't that good. And I know there was a lot of bad communication because of the turnover and marketing and all the things that were happening internally. But how are you going to give my shoes and associate them to two, at the time, not very known rappers? It was a guy named Ace Hood, I think his name was. And my blue shoe, there it is with him jumping off a stage on a billboard near my house. I walk in my house, I see the shit. I, I didn't sign off on that. I was like, what? And there's Travis Scott with the red version of the shoe. I met him in Berlin during a trade show, and he was mad cool. I never met Ace, nothing against the artists themselves, but the people at Reebok that made these decisions, I thought were very odd. Like, wait, that's not what I signed on for, and that's not what we spoke that we were going to do. I understand how it works, but like, you had my email and phone number for everything you needed. You just negated to tell me this. You know what I mean? You know, that's why that, that's why designers deserve way more than they get. And I'll explain to you this. We, we sat down one time with Jason Maiden, and he's the guy that used to work at Jordan brand and Nike. He has a great story. He created the uh, Monarch, the dad shoe, the Air Monarch. And I always I'm a dad, but I ain't fucking with that shit. Yeah, but it is. I don't have club feet. No, 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 no. I I'm mean, like I go to the club, but I don't have club feet. I mean, I love the shit out of Maiden. You know those look like I'm not wearing store them. sneakers to me. All right, no disrespect. But, but do you see how many they sold? Like, you see the phase that they, listen. It's you know crazy. Crack sales. That's yeah. not good either. So you know what I'm saying. But check this out. Here's the thing. <laughs> that's fucked up. No, he I'm designed sorry. that. He's now he left. He's, I, listen, he's, design dope. I'm no, not dissing. No, I just want to just clarify. Like I know I could be cynical. Ha ha. Dope design. Dope. Yeah. Sorry, I just want to. No, 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 I just want. The point I'm making to him is we had a conversation where he left. He's a, he's an entrepreneur. And he has like super heroic and a bunch of other shit. How dope would that have been if he gets a little P 
piece of that. Like as a, you think, think about it, right? You create these things that become legendary, and you get no royalties. Why you not? Why going, why doesn't a designer deserve? You don't know the scope of it. You don't know where it could go. Yeah. You're happy to be part of something bigger than that. Maybe he was an employee to Nike, and it was his contribution as his employee. Listen, I had a company called Recon. Had a designer for me. Her name was Amy Leash. Phenomenal designer. Under Recon, all the designs that my designers did, they're mine, right? I own the company. I own the trademarks. But I never, ever made product with it. We did this thing called I Miss the Old New York, right? It was a staple in Recon. It was a T-shirt, hat. It was a, it was, but Amy coined it. Here's a young designer from Rhode Island who comes to New York and just knocks it out the park. Respect to her. I never, I never took it and ran with it. It could have been its own independent thing. But sure. for me, that's my way of giving back by not taking things that I shouldn't take further or whatever because if they're not included, I don't want that. This happened to me. I hate that shit. So it's hard. You know, we don't know the circumstance of what that designer sure. was. He probably had, you know, fucking insurance, a fat gig, 401k. And that was his day job design. Sure. And that shoe became what it was. Well, who knows how that works? I mean, look, you have a lot of bruises and bumpers, bumps to get where you are. You know what I mean? Like, like if you didn't know, if you didn't lose your store, if you didn't fucking figure this out, you would have never be who you are today. You sure. Stash 2.0, as yeah. we're speaking. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people want to know, um, especially with Air Force, especially with Nike, is there new shoes coming out? Is there anything with me? new? Yeah. And Nike? Yeah. Oh, uh, there's nothing... You know, I, I, I went recently and spoke to friends at SB. Nike you know, SB. Yeah, Nike, pardon me, Nike SB. And, you know, we're I'm always trying to keep my relationship open to, hey, whatever happens. You know, my, my big pitch back to Nike is you're a heritage brand. Aren't we part of that? Didn't we, didn't we sure. come up part of that? So it may come around again. So it's best to sort of just sort of hang and see what happens. You know, that's the way I look at it. But... You know, I would love to. I love, I love, I love the opportunities in the projects. You know, like, like the last shoe, the Spirit on. Unfortunately, classic. We had no love, and I know, that's crazy too. And and you could get it for so cheap. Well, that that's the you know for me that's, you know, I don't care how the brand feels, but you know when you do a shoe with somebody, you should really be mindful of that because that kind of hurts my world. Even I'm rocking these, you know, cave empt Air Force Ones, and these were already in the fucking discount or the, the outlets and the outlets and you're like wow like why why do something with these designers if you're going to just sort of you know like what's the deal with that i don't understand the modern day mechanism at the company i haven't worked with people there in a long time but the last shoe i did truth be told it didn't start in marketing and it didn't start in sales i have a friend who who who's a production manager who thought hey let me I just happened to be on campus, and we had a conversation. He goes, maybe we'll sample one. You got an idea to, we're doing a Zoom Air thing, the way they much do Air Force or Air sure. Max. Zoom Air is a big, you know, campaign they do. And he thought, let's let's bring it in. I'm sure these guys will love it. And it turned into a nightmare. Mm. It, it, I had a fight, scratch, claw. I have different samples that I wanted to do. The The swoosh itself was supposed to be our original blue fabric, not just that color, but I was like, let's... You know, I couldn't make certain changes at the end. Otherwise, it, the shoe would have never have come out. Yeah. It went through a lot of people were fighting for it, people fighting against it. Not against it because they didn't like it, because it didn't go through the right change. Sure. There's a certain way shoes happen and how, you know, there's a lot of components. And this almost felt like a thorn or a, a pebble got in between the cog and just caused a bit of a friction. 
It's funny how it's funny how people you know the, the behind the scenes you never know this stuff but you just see you? the shoe no no you? I know I know right? I know but it's but it's valuable to know it's valuable I'm 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 happy for the people that helped make it happen I'm a little bugged out by the resistance we were met with by certain people I know that could have brought me into the conversation I don't like hearing about certain things out of the conversation where you're like oh where oh yeah small world isn't it because we all know each other. Oh yeah, the Sparadon. Thank you very Stashman. much. Yeah, of course. What about what about didn't didn't you, who else did you? I mean, there's got Bape. Didn't you uh, collaborate with who else did you collaborate? I mean, with? I've worked with Bape for many years. You know How did that I mean? happen? Um, wow. Like my first trip to Tokyo, I threw a friend of mine. Her name is Atomi. She's a Japanese woman, and she works for Michael Koppelman, who, for those who don't know, is London's sort of godfather of the movement. He brought Stussy and all the Japanese brands. He's he's like the James Jebbia, if you know who mm-hmm. he is, of of the London crew. He's a really strong component to everything we all know and all our DNA on the London side of it. The woman that worked with him, Hitomi, good friends of Nigo, Hiroshi, Jonio from Undercover, good friend of mine, oh, you're going to Japan? Oh, these guys want to meet you. And she... Third party from London linked up with friends of ours in Japan so that when I went over there on my first trip, you know, found me and brought me over to uh, to Nigo's office. And from there, it just became... Was he a fan? I, I, I don't know. He, those guys, when I sat with Nigo, it was Nigo and Skate Thing, the very first meeting, and a guy named Kenny Boy, who used to work for Eric Hayes. And I knew him independently, so I was like, oh, bugged out. What are you doing here? Like... I didn't understand yet what was happening. I didn't have a sense of the pecking order or who's what. I didn't even know I was in nowhere or Bathing Ape's office. Nigo wants to see you. All right, who's Nigo? This is 95. I had no clue what was going on. When I walk in, Shin, skate thing, who now does Cave Amped, and Nigo knew everything. You did the Philly Blunt. They had... They, I, I was like, you guys are like Japanese KGB. Like, what was going on? <laughs> you ever been somewhere where you're so humbled... And you got to pee and you're mad thirsty and they're like, would you like to go to the bathroom? And you're like, no, no, I'm good. But you know you want to go? Or like, you know, you're so thirsty but you just don't want to be that dude. I was so like, I don't want to miss a second of this. I didn't know what the hell was going on. They knew everything. I didn't know so much about them. So it felt a little like, hey, what's up? And then they sort of walked me through and I was like, oh, yeah, no, Futura sort of schooled me a bit. I heard this or I'd seen, oh, wow. Like they sort of, they came at me but then, pieced it together and sort of brought me full circle with it and then Lenny and I ended up working with them for like five six years as like contracted design and Dope. different projects and all sorts of like share share ideas and was that a proud collaboration oh my god to date what's your what's your best collaboration because you've done a lot with my ex-wife <laughs> I'm gonna have to say you know that that to me you can't get better than birth but you know all that aside I don't know you know I, I have a lot that I feel really good about and strong about that make sense at a period of time in my life because things change. Look how subject to change everything is in our lives, where we were, how fast everything moves, right? Especially today. Especially today. Right, this podcast is already over. They're listening to something else. It moves at light speed. So when I look back, it's hard for me to identify because there's a lot of personal feelings to these projects. Did I like the concept? Did I like the product itself, the people I work with? There's so many good stories around each and every product that I've been fortunate to work on. Yeah. That it's hard to, oh, that, oh, wait, hang on. I'll say something. They'll be like, no. It's could, sort of like, what's your favorite rap song? Oh, wait, no. Oh, it's this one. It's that oh, one. I'm for sure. And this one. Oh. Could you, could you, could you, uh, could we ever see a Stash Supreme collab ever? 
No, that'll never happen. Because and then not not by my doing. I don't think Supreme as a brand would go there. They haven't. Their model is set up on a much different structure. You know what I mean? Do you, People don't know. Lenny but you know Lenny those guys. Out. You know those you know guys Lenny for a laid long out time. The Supreme logo, right? Well, huh? Future laid out the. Really? You know, like he did all the initial comps and he's very good friends with them and he's worked with them behind the scenes and Russ, sir, did a bunch of stuff yeah. that people oh, don't Odessa's finest. Yeah, there's so much talent that gets their ghost design for the brand, but as far as ex an artist like that, no, they're they're Damien Hurst. They're you know, they they keep themselves at a high tier sort of thing. I don't think they're gonna utilize they might work with me if I'm blessed in the future, but I don't think they'll ever X my name it. If you're dead. Yeah, yeah if I'm dead. Well, probably. Because people care about or people like when they're dead. Or like porn or something. You know, are, are, you, are you surprised to see like the, the, how fucking big they are? I, yeah, I am, but I'm also happy because I really like them and I know a lot of people that work with them and I, I watched them from the very beginning when Chappie was like, yeah, we're going to open up a store called Supreme on, on Lafayette Street. It's a skate shop. And I was like... Didn't PMB do three sweatshirts that said one said Supreme, one said clientele, one said, right, Divine? Like, those guys were always on some next-level shit. And I was like, did he get that from them? So it's funny that Wes works with them, you know, like the dude from PMB is part yeah, yeah. of their crew. And I love it. I love it. I, I love everything I hear about them because I like them as people. It makes it easy to enjoy. What about, uh, as we wind this episode down, what about, like, people who, you know, like, we asked about streetwear before and what you thought about it. But what about, like, shops? Like, what about Jeff Staple? I know you got a lot of love for Staple, right? I mean, I met Jeff. He was a PMB intern. And yeah. he reminded me of a story when we first met that makes me think, like, wow, we really, yeah, we really earned our stripes. Like, we really came from a place that, like, a lot of people don't know about. I mean, I have a lot of respect for Jeff, you know? I don't, I don't know if a lot of people really know his kit, but that dude... He don't work nine to five. He works nine to whenever the fuck he's done. I mean, that dude is, he's a hard worker. Nine to fucking nine in the morning. He's, he's a hard no, worker. He's definitely... and, and he's a really nice guy. And he's very accessible to his audience, which I appreciate. You know, when I see people that are not dicks to the, not 1.0s. Sure. I like the 2.0 version of it. Because you're, you're quick to call somebody out if they're a fucking but, dick. But I've been quick to call out. Yeah. I've been quick to be called out. So it's, it's, it's only, and, and you know what? Yeah, I've been, I've been, you know, it's been said I have no hair on my tongue. Sometimes I speak before I think or, but I think we all have that. What about Yu Ming? Yu Ming. Oh, Yu We Ming, spoke off air about Yu how... Ming's a god. He's a god. He's like, he's right up there with Thor and fucking, you know, he's, he's, <laughs> he's a god. I mean, that dude, he's the unspoken just... Hero and sneakers. And, and, and Wendy. I mean, come on. They're, they're, they're like the power couple. They're the Bill Gates of... Uh, they're the Gateses of this whole game. You know why I love them and so much? they give back to everybody. They do. You know why I love them so much? Because they're not cocky. Uh, uh, braggable uh, douchebags. Exactly. That's how low key they are. That thirty percent of the audience right now will be like, who? Yeah. And that's because that's how they operate. They're just really fine folks. Really fine motherfucking folks. Look, there's so many, so many brands and so many people that have you know are doing great things now that have inspired you before. Instead of me even naming people, who's some people that. You know, maybe they don't get a chance for Stash to him how much they, you love their brand or how you love what they have done or, or, or you know, or added to the culture. Is there people out there that, you know, that... I mean, the, you know, there's a lot, you know, and a lot of it's personal friendship that yeah. builds that sort of warrants, that sort of feeling. You know what? If, if you know me and you know I love you, I love you. If I don't and I don't know you, well, hey, I'm sorry, but maybe we'll meet in the future and that'll, that'll change. I hope you love me back. 
What do you want the stash legacy to be? When people look at, you know, like younger kids and older people, people, me and Mike's age, that are like have seen you and, 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 you know, do all these amazing things. Like, what do you want your legacy to be? When it's all said and done. Man, I, I don't know. That's a really, that's probably one of the hardest things I've ever been asked. To be honest, I don't know even how to answer that. Like, I, I really want my kids to be proud of me more than anybody. Really, you know, the whole idea of, like, raising a family is sort of like, you know, I went through the whole teenage thing where it was like, first, Dad, don't pick me up at school. Yeah, yeah pick me up down. around the corner. Yeah. yeah, all that weird shit. Now it's like the audience of my children's has caught up where their friends are like, yo, that's your dad, and my dad knows your dad through this part. Or, like, it's really great to be part of this part of my life with my children to see. You know, so if, if, if there's an afterlife to that in any way, I'll be very happy. I, I don't know how to answer that. Mm. It's a very interesting. I'm, I'm happy to be received as well as I am and whatever contribution alongside of many other amazing talents that have inspired me. I hope to just keep that going for everybody. Well, remember in the beginning we talked about Pops. Yeah. Because of what he didn't do, you seem to be have focused to be the best father you could be. I don't know. I like my kid. Maybe my father didn't like being a father or just couldn't, didn't have it in him. I, I wanted to be a dad. I'm a dad and I fucking love every day of it, even the sucky days. You know, one thing I would say as, 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 as we, this should probably be it, Mrs. Stash. You know, look, you made it through your fucking podcast. Uh, we did it. Podcast. podcast. But I will, podcast? Say, I will say, I will say, I will say, I will say this. One thing I don't like, one, one thing I don't like. I'll finally I'm, listen to It's a good thing. It's a good thing I'm going to say. But one thing I don't like about you is how much you, you have done a lot and you don't like to take, like, you know, like, you're a humble dude, believe it or not. And, hard, and and bro. no, but check this out. To. Check this out. I but hear me know. out. This fucking guy, Mike. Think about it. Traveled the fucking world. The world. The world. Who would ever thought? Think about it, right? Kid from fucking Long Island. Fucking the city. Yeah. You know, still got a fucking uh, leak. Fucking you know, you <laughs> bankrupt. <laughs> divorced. Your fucking wife probably called well, you, you know a what, douche dudes, a couple you can of times. Come back from anything. Let me just say to you and our everything does pass. You know, I'm not one of these like half faith. I don't namaste. More like not my stee, but you know, it does pass, man. Just stay focused and stay stay real and and just dig a little deeper. That's it. Any uh, we, we spoke possible could be a Nike putter. Any 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 upcoming things that people should know? Any upcoming collabs? Any um, there's a, there's a, you know, there's always one or two things flutzing around. Okay. I'm still waiting on confirmation, but I did a little something with this one guy that, you know, might be in this one store that okay. should be pretty cool. Okay. Could be a possibility. About a movie that we all love, you know, so. On Instagram, Mr. Yes. Underscore Stash. Yes, please. Do you like Instagram? You know, it's the only kind of social that I play with. I don't Facebook. I don't tweet. I don't really understand any of that. I have nothing to say, so I wouldn't tweet. It'd just be sort of a bunch of like, what? What the fuck? So Instagram for me, you know, my 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 kids turned me on to it, and it became, hey, wow, oh wow, you know. So yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm quietly obsessed with it. It's a weird little, like my phone will ring, and the first thing I look at is Instagram. Almost before I look at the text, I I, I don't like that. I got to stop that. I was I got to go to Instagram anonymous, <laughs> but. I'm well, not that curious about other people, but I am sort of curious about the people I do follow, obviously. And I'm, you know, oh, shit, I can't be there, but nice to see your kid. You know, I do yeah, like yeah. that. I like that. You know, like Mike and I, this guy travels more than anybody. Yeah. Right? He's it's amazing. He's actually leaving right now, but he's always on the move. But it's like, oh, shit, check out Mike. Oh, shit. Okay. 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 So it's a nice sort of, 
It's a nice thing to see. Yeah. Cherry Hill. That was where the original skate shit was when I was a kid. Cherry Hill, New Jersey, was the first. Yeah, I grew up. I, ever heard about. I grew up in Brooklyn, and and now that I'm, I, I, it's funny. I say this. I grew up, and it was like fucking. The way I grew up was like, you know, a whole bunch of things going on. Crackheads, this person, this bad. This. Now I got fucking deer on my lawn. There you go. And, 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 and I'll be honest with you, I love every minute of it. And enjoy it, man. Enjoy it. You know, Please. it keeps me out of trouble, enjoy too. It. If I had to stay, you know, but it, it is what it is. Internet, let me tell you something, okay? The journey, the unfiltered journey, the rare appearance of the legendary. And then fuck you if you don't like to hear it because it's true. Designer. Worldwide known graffiti artist Stash. Well, thank Stash you. blessings. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Blessings. Peace. Internet, if you enjoyed that episode, then hit me up. That's right. Email me at thepremiumpeachshow at gmail.com. Again, that's thepremiumpeachshow at gmail.com. If you're an advertiser, any big company, small company, startup, whatever it is, you want to advertise on the Premium Peep Show, hit me up. Email thepremiumpeachshow at gmail.com, and we'll, we'll get to working, okay? And if you have a suggestion or you want to hear a certain guest on the show, whatever it is, okay? You know, you could at Premium Pete, at Premium Pete Show on Twitter or Instagram, or for the last time I'll tell you, well, I'm not gonna, it's not the last time, email me, thepremiumpeachshow at gmail.com, and let's get to working. Cheers.